Uh, I was asking this question this week um, of some people like, what is the worst feeling ever? And uh, I, I was somewhere, I wanted to go somewhere with it. And I asked a friend of mine, I said, what's the worst feeling ever? And uh, he said, it's probably when your favorite football team loses in the Super Bowl to the same mediocre team twice. Um, and I said, well, that's not the worst feeling ever. And by the way, we're not friends anymore. Um, <clears throat> but I, I really believe that the worst feeling ever is the feeling of being lost. Where, I mean, you're just, you don't know where you are. You feel helpless, uh, maybe even hopeless, wherever it is that you are. You're not sure what direction to go, what decision to make, what course to take. I mean, you're just totally lost. Um, a, a few weeks ago, my wife went grocery shopping, got home, and was unpacking the groceries and our three kids, which is no easy feat. And we have a system for this, which makes it a little bit easier. Uh, I have an almost 11-week-old daughter named Olivia. So we take Olivia out of, the, well, in, in this day, she takes, she was asleep, she takes Olivia um, out of the, she's in the car seat, and so she brings her inside, um, <clears throat> she opens the door, puts her just inside the door, and then next she comes out, takes Mia, who's five, out of the, out of the van, and she goes inside, and the whole rule, the kids know, the whole rule is you go inside, you stay inside. And then, um, then third time around, uh, Xander, who's two and a half, we get him out, we bring him inside, and then Carrie starts bringing in all the groceries. Um, if I'm there, then it's a little different. But this, I, I, was, I was at the office, so she was getting all the groceries in. So the three kids are inside. She's bringing in all the groceries. Well, then she finishes. She closes the trunk. And as, so I want you to imagine she kind of just goes around one side of the car, gets to the door, closes the door, locks the door, goes to the kitchen to start unpacking the groceries. Well, unbeknownst to her, my daughter Mia decides... I wonder what mommy's doing outside. So if you can just imagine, like, in just the way weird things happen, Carrie is closing the trunk and going in on one side of the van. Mia walks out and goes to see where mommy's doing on the other side of the van. And it was almost like exactly the same time. They're like ships passing in the night. Mia is headed on one side of the car to the back of the van. Carrie's on the other side of the car to the front of the van to the front door. Carrie gets to the front door, closes the door, locks it and heads to the kitchen to start unpacking the groceries because the kids are inside like they always are. And um, then Mia says, Mommy, Mommy, and realizes that Mommy's not outside. She does a couple laps around the car and then comes to this realization that she is in the driveway alone. And she, in, in a way that only a five-year-old girl can, uh, she starts freaking out, you know, hysterical, crying, runs to the door and starts banging on the door. And she's like, Mommy, it's me. It's Mia. I'm alone and I don't want to be lost. And I was asking her about, like, why did you say I don't want to be lost? Because it's like in Toy Story when Woody, you know, he falls out of the car and he says, Oh, no, I'm a lost toy. And she's like, that was the worst thing ever when he was a lost toy. So I didn't want to be a lost toy. So she's banging on the door because she doesn't want to be like Woody and in Toy Story. And so she's and then. She, Carrie tells me the story. She calls me five minutes after it happens, and she's hysterical. Um, and she's bang, she says, I'm in the kitchen, and I hear this banging on the door, and in a muffled voice, I hear, Mommy, it's me, it's me, I'm alone, and I don't want to be lost. And she says she runs to the door, by the, you know, she runs to the front door, she's, Carrie's already crying because she realizes that Mia, some, for some reason, decided to walk out of the house. And um, so she opens the door, Mia's crying. Carrie's crying. They hug. Everything's okay. Carrie calls me. I start crying because I'm like, what could have happened? And, you know, all this kind of stuff that that takes place. But there's nothing worse than being lost. There's no worse feeling, I believe, than the feeling of being lost. And this is true in any and every area of your life. Um, I've worked with individuals over the years who are lost financially. They feel like they're lost financially. They are so far in debt, so far in the hole that they can't even imagine what financial freedom looks like. And, and the feeling is that I, we just don't know what way is up anymore, that we just feel lost. Um, there's, this happens in, in people's careers, right? Uh, especially in the kind of economy that we live in. And what happens is, is that, you know, you go to, maybe you went to college and you, you know, you got a degree in something and then you went out into the workplace and your skill set and education and what they were looking for were two different things. And so, well, that's the job I wanted, but the skill set that I have doesn't match that. 
So you've got to go do something else. And now a season of time passes. And then you're wondering to yourself, man, I, I, I invested all this in education and I wanted to do this and it didn't work out. And man, I just feel like I got off the path. And I feel like I'm lost as to where I, I thought I would be at this time, at this day, in this age of, of, of my life. This happens in relationships. When a couple has so much conflict, so much bad blood, so much drama in their relationship, a couple has sinned against each other so many times that they just have a hard time forgiving. And then what takes place is they just say, you know, we just feel like the relationship is lost. This happens spiritually where people feel like they're alienated from God. And, and, and the, the, the interesting thing is there's two ways that people feel like a spiritual alienation from God. It happens in two ways, I believe. One is by being very bad and breaking all the rules. The other is by being very good. And you've been very good and you think that your obedience to God has earned you the right to be accepted by God. And more importantly, your obedience to God makes you feel like God, now I've got one on God and he owes me something. You see, in the story that we're going to spend the next three weeks looking at, we're going to learn about a father that has two sons. And most of us think of this story, and we, it's been called um, the story of the prodigal son. But if we were being really honest, we would call it the story of the prodigal sons. Because there are two sons, and they're both lost, both alienated from their father. Both just simply chose different paths to get there. But the good news is this, is that helping lost people is Jesus' specialty. Jesus said these words in Luke chapter 19. He said, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. So before we go into the story, and, and I've actually been tr meaning to teach a series on the prodigal son literally since about 2007. So, I mean, I'm going on about five years that I've been doing some preparation and reading some stuff and clipping it and putting it in my little bucket that I keep stuff in that I'm saving up for the day that I... Um, teach a series, so I have all this content. So I've been saving up for about five years of just content, working on it a little bit. And then here, but here's what happens. The first question, when I decided I was going to teach this series of teachings on, uh, this, on this story, the first question I asked is, why was Jesus telling this story in the first place? You see, one of the things that you'll find is, is that whenever Jesus tells a parable, tells a story, it's never just in, out of thin air that he just starts talking. It's usually out of a response to something that's happening, a question that's asked, a statement that's made, a situation that presents itself. <clears throat> so why did Jesus tell this story at this time? And what would motivate Jesus to tell a story about two sons, both separated from their father, both in need of God's grace, forgiveness, and love? At the beginning of Luke 15, which is where we're going to be, so you can open your Bible there if you would, uh, to Luke chapter 15. But at the very beginning of Luke 15... I want to read you the first couple of verses, which will give you an idea as to why Jesus is telling this story. And here's what he says. It says, then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke a, this parable to them, saying. Now, you have to understand, um, if you're not aware, Jesus's ministry, Jesus started his ministry when he was 30 years old. He was crucified around the age of 33 and a half or so. So he had about a three and a half year ministry. The first year of his ministry was when um, he was kind of ascending in his popularity. There was about a year and a half that Jesus was at the pinnacle of his popularity. And then uh, towards the end of his ministry, people started turning on him. Eventually, as you know, um, the crowd started to walk away because Jesus' teachings got heavier. And then um, people started walking away. Eventually, Jesus was betrayed. He was in a you know, tried in a very illegal court, and then um, he was crucified, died, buried, and then rose again three days later. Now, the reason I tell you all of that is because when Jesus is telling this story, Jesus is at the pinnacle of his popularity. Everywhere Jesus goes, multitudes are coming to hear him. Lepers are being healed. The sick are being made well. Multitudes are being fed. The dead are being raised. This is the time that the crowds actually want to take Jesus and make him their king by force. That's going to just force the crown on him. And in these crowds that are coming to see Jesus, people from all walks of life are coming to hear him. 
They're hearing and listening to His teachings, experiencing His power, and their lives are changing. And they are no longer the people that they once were when they first came to hear Him. But in the midst of all of this amazing goodness that's happening as, Jesus, as people are coming to hear Jesus, there are these religious leaders. The, you know, the leaders of the religious establishment of the day. <clears throat> and these guys hated what Jesus was doing. Now, why did they hate what Jesus was doing? It's because Jesus threatened their religious system. Jesus exposed their hypocrisy, that they would lay heavy burdens on people and, 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 and ask them to do you know, these commands that were impossible, but they themselves wouldn't obey them. And see, when Jesus would expose them for the hypocrites that they were, this infuriated them. So wherever Jesus was, they would show up, they would try to cause a problem, ask questions, try to create doubt, and try to sway people against Jesus. So what's the beef that they have with Jesus this time? They're upset that Jesus is associating himself with sinners and tax collectors. You know, people who are lost. You see, because people are so different today than they were back then. You see, back then, if you can just even imagine this, this is so weird. Back then, people didn't like to pay taxes. Um, not like now, but they even, back then, they even hated tax collectors. It's not like now, where we get a tax bill and we're like, nice! And then we all have our, have you hugged your IRS agent bumper sticker, right? Um, right, no, right, I don't, if you have one of those, you need medication. Um, uh, <laughs> or to pay taxes. Um, but here, but here's the thing is that we're all the same. But in that day, culturally speaking, tax collectors were were people that were seen as um, conspirators with the oppressors. They saw, uh, you know, Israel saw Rome as an oppressive state. And then what Rome would do is that they would hire Jewish people um, in different provinces. So they'd hire these, these nationals, Jews, to collect the taxes. And then they would have a certain number that only them and their Roman official knew. This is how much in taxes you need to collect. Rome didn't pay them any money to do it, but what they would do is that they would try to extort and extract as much as they could from each person, and then whatever they made above what they gave to Rome was their salary. And so uh, I, you know, the uh, tax collectors in that age were just ruthless, sinful, greedy people, and um, that they were just hated. I mean, they were the lowest rung on the societal ladder. To say to someone, you hang out with tax collectors, was a huge insult. And so their indictment of Jesus is that there are sinners and tax collectors that hang out with you. You hang out with people who need, well, you hang out with people who need Jesus. That's the, that's the, big, the big problem. And so this story that Jesus tells is his answer to the indictment that people give of, well, why do you hang out with these people? And this is his answer. Now, um, his goal is really to drive home a couple of truths. He's speaking to these Pharisees and religious leaders. And we have to actually keep that in mind because sometimes we can get so caught up in the story we forget why Jesus told it in the first place. But the other thing that's very important is he's trying to speak to the religious leaders, but he's also speaking to the crowd. And that's why I know this about you as I know this about me. And that is um, every single one of us will connect with someone in the story. You see, you will either listen and and you will read the story and you'll say, man, I'm kind of like the older brother in the story. I'm, 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 you know, looking down my nose at people who aren't keeping the rules like I'm keeping the rules. Maybe you might be the younger brother. You've kind of just, you know, you're living a wild life and things are, things have come up empty. You're searching for something and you can't find it. And now you're, 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 you're connecting with the younger brother who is running from God. Or maybe you're here and you say, well, that's not me. Maybe there's someone that you're watching run away. And you have the heart of the father in the story. And you're watching them make very poor decisions and that you still love them. And listen, wherever you are, this parable will not only resonate with you, it will speak to you, it will challenge you, and hopefully, by God's grace, it will change you and me. So we're going to start in Luke chapter 15 and verse 11. And here's where we begin. It's uh, Jesus speaking. He says, Then he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the son gathered, uh, gathered all together and journeyed to a far country. 
and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. If you pause there and give me your attention, what I want to do in our time together is I want to tell you three things about being lost. And three in kind of these different characters, I think it's really important for us to understand what happens when you're lost. If you're dealing with someone who is lost, I think this is really important because you're going to look on and say, how could they possibly do that? And it's because of these three things. And if you are lost, you're going to look at your life and the decisions that you're making and say, that's why I'm doing this. And this is why I need to make a change and, 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 and turn from the way that I'm going and turn in God's direction. But here's the first one that I want to tell you about um, what happens when you're lost. Number one, uh, when you're lost, number one, you aren't thinking clearly. You aren't thinking clearly. When we're lost, we get kind of caught up in this moment and then we, we do things. We're like, well, how in the world? Did, why did I do that? Uh, last week... Uh, on Friday, my, my day off is Friday, and so we went out to lunch as a family, and uh, we went to lunch out in Aventura, and we were driving back. <clears throat> we were driving home, and my daughter Olivia, who's two months old, was crying because she was tired, and so we're trying to get home. And when I say crying, please don't think like a gentle whimper. I mean, she's like screaming bloody murder, as only a two-month-old can do. And And this is not just like for a minute. This is like... 25 minutes, going on 30 minutes, and she's just screaming her head off. And, you know, and if you're a parent, you, you, you've been there. You're driving, and one of your kids or all of your kids are just screaming. And then there's, like, these moments where you can just kind of zone it out, you know, and you just go to, like, the special place, wherever that is, you know. You know, it's like I never understood the Calgon, Calgon take me away, until I have kids. Now I'm, like, right on. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm with that. But anyway... So that's the that's kind of where they were. Plus, it was opposite day in my house. And I don't know if you, you have opposite day in your house. This is the day where my kids, were, all my kids were doing the exact opposite of what I was telling them to do. So, you know, like I have opposite day like four days a week. Um, so anyway, but we get to Miramar Parkway and 441, right? 441, a fairly busy road. OK, and uh, so we're at Miramar and 441 driving home. And Carrie just says, I can't take it anymore. And, um, you know, we're, we're stopped at, at, a, at a light. <clears throat> and um, so she uh, she gets out of the car. She just opens the door, gets out of the car, opens up the side door to the van, and gets in and tries to help Olivia to get her to stop crying. And now, mind you, there are this is 441. This is State Road 7 and Miramar Parkway. This is a very busy intersection, and there are cars that are just flying by, you know, and, and it was at a light, and so we were the first ones at the light. So there are cars that are going 45, 50 miles an hour that are slowing down, so that they don't blow the light. And so she just gets out of the car and then turns and goes into the back. And I'm freaking out, you know, because right as she opens the door, gets out of the car, closes the door, she turns and a car comes within like six inches of just, you know, totally wiping her out. And she gets in and then she takes care of Olivia. The light turns green. We go. I haven't said one word. I'm 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 totally speechless at what I've seen. Now, if you've attended this church for any length of time, I'm a lot of things. Speechless is not one of them. Okay, and so I I'm like, you know, I, I can't eat. I don't even know what words to say over what I've just seen. And and Carrie then um, she stops and she goes, I almost died just now, didn't I? And I said, well, do you have the ability to move cars with your mind? And she says, no. I said, then yes, you almost just died right now. And she's like, you know, she's like, Bob, I just couldn't take the crying and the screaming anymore. And, and she says, this is so interesting. I just got lost in all the noise and I just had to do something. And I thought, man, that's, that's exactly what happens to, every, to all of us when we're lost. Is that we get caught up in the moment, in the circumstance, and then we start making poor choices. The reason is because we aren't thinking clearly. Now, this is the reason I tell you this, is because Jesus opens the story with a scandalous statement. Okay? He says that a younger son asks his father for his share of the inheritance. Now, understand, that statement alone was worthy of an episode of Jerry Springer, if Springer was around back then. 
Like, you know, next on Springer, father asks his son for an inheritance. <gasps> horror. I mean, just the sheer horror of it. You know, um, <clears throat> now, why is that? Why is that? For two reasons. Number one, culturally, the older brother got what, the, got what was called the double portion of the inheritance. So if there's two sons, the uh, older brother would get two thirds of everything. You know, he'd get 66 percent of everything. And then. The younger son would get one third. If there were three or four sons, younger son, older older son would get two thirds, and then everybody else would split up that third, that uh, that you know last third up. And so, for him to ask for the inheritance, he's disrespecting his brother and family tradition, and how he's dude. You don't ask. You wait in line until it comes down to you. But you're not in any position to be asking. But that's not the worst of it. The worst of it is. Um, I don't know if you've ever received an inheritance before, but there's usually something that has to happen to receive an inheritance, right? If you've ever received an inheritance, someone has to die, right? That's usually how it works. So culturally, what this younger son is telling his dad is, hey, dad, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead so I could get all of your stuff. And so now, culturally speaking, and if you read, I mean, all, and I scoured this. I mean, I was reading every book on first century Judaism that I could get my hands on. And what every book said is that there was only one response for the, for the father in this situation. The only response as a Jewish father in a Jewish family was to take his son and punch him square in the face. That's what the history books say. It's just the only thing. The only response is to clean clock his son and say, dude, you do not dictate how this goes here. That's the, but in shock of all shocks, in the story, and mind you, Jesus' audience are like, that boy asked for what? You know, he asked for the inheritance. They are freaking out. And then he says this, you know, because like nobody asks for that. Nobody wishes, nobody in their right mind wishes their dad dead. But see, that's the problem when you're lost. You're not thinking clearly. I mean, have you ever seen this? I mean, think about this if, if, if we can you ever want, like, see like a middle-aged guy, uh, you know, a guy that's like maybe 50 or, you know, in his early or mid-50s, he leaves his wife and his family and he goes in, uh, to marry a girl that's like in, in her 20s that it's obvious he's never going to be able to keep up with, you know, um, in, in the full orb of that term. Um, and, and, and yet, you know, all of his friends think he's crazy, you know, and um, his family thinks he's crazy. And like, what is that? On paper, it doesn't make sense. It never works out because it's hovering right around nine out of nine times that it doesn't make that it doesn't work out. And so it's like, well, why do, why do guys do that? Because they aren't thinking clearly. And there's they there's a feeling of being lost. And when you're lost, you're searching for something and you think you're going to find it there. And so you leave everything that you know to try to find something that's there. But you don't realize that when you're lost, you're not thinking clearly at all. I mean, how many times have people come home and they come home with like, you know, it's like. They buy a car and they had no intention of buying one. Right? I mean, how is that? I mean, like, you come home, like, what'd you do? I bought a car. What? Yeah. It's an $800 payment a month. Like, what happened? I don't know. I walked into the dealership to use the restroom. And then I talked to a guy. And then he got me in the car. And then we drove around. And then he offered me the the... Bumper to bumper. And now I just bought a 15 passenger van. And I'm single. You know. And it's like, how is that? Right? Because you're just not thinking clearly. Right? When you're lost, you don't, you're not thinking smart about things. And what's the solution to it then? The solution is this. Um, you need to make sure that you're found. If you're lost, you need to make sure that you're found. And if you're found, you need to make sure that you are pressing towards God's will. The Apostle Paul would say it this way in Philippians 3. He says, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take, such a, take a view of such things. And if at some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. You see, if you and I, if we're lost then we are open to making all kinds of crazy decisions that can ruin our lives, that can hurt the people that we love the most. 
And then, which is what this prodigal does, he asks for it. He essentially says he wishes his father dead. He takes all the stuff and he leaves. And then he blows it. And then look at what happens in, um, in verse 17. It says, but when he came to himself, that's another way of saying he started thinking clearly. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise, go to my father and will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. And when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. And if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the second thing that you need to know when you're lost. That is that when you're lost, you are still loved. You are still loved. I want you to notice a couple things that are really important in this section of the story. First, it says that when his father saw his son coming, it says that he had compassion on him, that he ran to him, that he hugged him, and that he kissed him. Now, you have to understand that in this culture, it was undignified, not only undignified, but unheard of, for an elderly Jewish man to run in public. Now, I live near Century Village, so I see this phenomenon all the time. But in an ancient Jewish culture, it was completely unheard of. Jesus' audience who was listening that day is saying, hold on, the dad did what? Yeah, he ran to meet his son. No, 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 no. That's, that's impossible. The other thing that's important to notice, um, his son has this rehearsed speech that he's going to tell his dad. And next week, if you're here, and I hope you are for this three-parter, um, that next week we're going to just look at the younger brother, and we're actually going to dissect his little speech that he's going to give to his dad, because a lot of times we have no idea what it is that he's trying to say to his dad, but there's something very specific that he's trying to tell his dad, but his dad doesn't let him finish the speech. Dad, I've sinned before heaven against you. I'm no longer worried to be called your son. And his dad cuts him off mid-sentence and tells him the words that he could not even possibly imagine that the relationship between him and his dad have been, has been restored. How do we know that? Because his dad asks for three things. His dad asks for the best robe to be put on him, for the, the ring to be put on his finger, and for sandals on his feet. The best robe in the house would have been his dad's robe. It was a symbol of authority. It was a symbol of his dad covering him. The ring that was given in that culture was the signet ring. It was the family ring. It was a, a symbol of authority. He wasn't just being brought in as a servant. Instead, he was being brought back to a place of honor and a place of authority in his family. And then lastly, he was given sandals on his feet because in that culture, slaves didn't wear shoes. They didn't wear sandals. They carried and put on the sandals for those whom they served. And see, the father is saying to him, I will not receive you back as a servant. I will receive you back as a son. There's something that happens when you're lost, and that is that you have this feeling that you're all alone. And that if I come back, what I'm going to get is hostility and judgment and hatred and all of that. But then there's this moment of clarity, this moment that you come to your senses and you start thinking clearly, and you decide to come home. And you know what you find when you come home? You find out how much you're really loved. I ran into somebody um, not that long ago who um, came to Calvary, gave their life to Jesus here at Calvary, and then, you know, they, they had like a prodigal story. They, they then, you know, went away and started living a different kind of life, and I ran into them, and I'm like, what happened to you? And they just started telling me, and I'm like, so, you know, okay, come back. And they're like, oh, you know, it's just weird, I don't want it to be weird, and if I come back, then when people say, and I'm like, listen. If you come back, can I just tell you what's going to happen? People are going to put their arm around you. They're going to kiss you. They're going to love you. They're going to say, we're so glad to see you. And, because, um, and if you think that's weird, then yeah, it's going to be weird. But there's, you're going to, there's going to be an outpouring of love when you come here. 
And listen, um, this is, I think, an important thing for us as, as a family, as a church, that this is a place of acceptance, of love, of grace, of forgiveness. Because can I just tell you something? If you weren't aware of this, we are all deeply messed up people. Deeply. I know a lot of you. You're deeply messed up. Okay? Um, right? You, some of you know me and you're like, you're the most deeply messed up person I've ever known. You're probably right. Um, now, we are all very, very messed up people. We're all broken people. And, the, the, and listen, this was part of what Jesus did when he was drawing us to him. And the whole thing that happens is, is that God just gets hold of us and changes our lives and continues to do that work in us, but never to the point where we kind of like look down on the other person because guess what? That used to be us. And guess what? We're a couple bad decisions from that being us. And that's why this place always has to be a place of love and forgiveness and acceptance. doesn't always have to be. And there's a difference, by the way, between acceptance and approval. Somebody could be living a lifestyle that the Bible doesn't condone, and it's like, well, then do you approve of it? No, but I still accept them. I may not approve, but I still accept them and love them and care about them and see God's best for them. And, and the thing that's very important for us is, listen, what we do here, if you've been found, right, you, can't, you may have come here, and I know a lot of you did, you came here and you were lost. And then, and, and, and then you became found here. And then there's something else that happens. Because you know what happens when you're found? You want to find people. Because there's this thing that found people find people. And it's amazing how it works. That God begins to change your life and just does this radical transformation in your life. And you know what you want? You want that very same thing for the people that you know, the people that you love, the people that you care about. And that's, just, that's the way it's supposed to work. And that's why we partner together. That's why, listen, this whole series we're talking about it. But as we have this amazing opportunity in three weeks on Easter, listen, can I just tell you something? We have the best opportunity of the year to invite people to come to a service where a bunch of found people are going to find people so they can hear the gospel and respond so those lost people can be found and then those that just become found can find other people. That's what we do, my friends. We help people become found who were lost and then help them grow in their faith and mature in their faith. That's what we do. That's what we do. And that's what this place has always been about. And by God's grace, I pray that that's what this place will always be about. You see, the Apostle John would say it this way. He would say in, in John, 1 John 3, 1, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. You see, many people, they just have no idea how much they are loved by God because they're so busy running away from him that they haven't experienced his love. But when they, that moment comes, like in verse 17, it says, but when he came to himself, he just, he was crazy. He just kind of like got his mind back. He said, hold on, what am I doing? He turned around. He went home and he found what he never thought he would find, which is the embrace of his father. Look at what happens in the rest of the story. Look at verse 25. He says this. Now, his older son was in the field. And he came and drew near to the house and he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked what the, these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, lo, these many years I've been serving you and never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you have get, never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots. You killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. If you pause there and give me your attention, here's the third thing. The third thing is this, is that when you're lost, you need to admit the truth. Admit the truth, that here's the truth, that you are Lost. Um, I'm, I'm, plan I'm doing some speaking this summer in Boston, Boston, New England. And um, so I was telling my wife some dates and whatnot that I'm going to be out. And, 
and she says, um, you know, do you want the GPS? And that's kind of a joke that her and I have because um, one year we went to Boston for Thanksgiving and uh, we were going to go visit some friends that live near near um, the ocean. And so it was about an hour away from where we were staying. And um, I decided to take a road that was off the beaten path. And so Carrie says, hey, are you going the right way? Do you want the GPS? And I took such offense to that. And I'm like, let me tell you something, woman. I'm from Boston. These, this is my home. These, this is my hood. And I was t- telling her all my street cred uh, about, about being, being from Boston. And so anyway, she's like, all right, fine. So we drive for about half an hour. And then uh, about half an hour, she's like, are you sure we're going the right way? And uh, if you know anything about driving to New England, it's all these like winding roads and hills and all this. And so we do one of these winding roads. And I'm like, I know exactly where I'm going. And I kind of turn on one of these things. See this giant sign that says, welcome to New Hampshire. And I'm like, uh, I kind of look over at her and I said, I'll go ahead and take that GPS that you graciously offered. So now every time we go, the joke is, would you like the GPS? And um, now, here's why I tell you this, is that the older brother is just as lost. He just doesn't realize it and refuses to admit it. You see, the, the, the sin of the older brother wasn't that he was bad. The sin of the older brother is that he was good. He obeyed all the rules and now thought that his dad owed him something because he was good. And can I, can I just tell you, if we can sidebar for a minute and, and just, if I can share something with you. If you've been a Christian for longer than a year... Listen, you are in danger of becoming the older brother. You see, where you can begin to think that your obedience to God makes God indebted to you in some way. This was the problem. This was the sin of the older brother. You see, we look at the younger brother and how his sinful actions separated him from God. But can I tell you this? That the younger brother rebelled by trying, by using his obedience to then extract what he wanted from his dad. And truth be told, the older brother was just as far from God, as, uh, just as far from his father as the younger brother because he saw his father like a vending machine. If I just do the right things, I put in my coins, and then I get what I want out of it. And we can look at God that way if we aren't careful. We can look at God like he, we, did, we did the right thing and now he owes us. And that's what the older brother wanted. That's what he thought. That's why he disrespects his father when he doesn't get what he wants. That's why if you notice, I put Luke 15, verse 29, where he says, Lo, that's not the way that, uh, that's like saying look, or look here. That, that's that's a, um, a, a son in that culture would address his father as father or oh father. In fact, if you look at the beginning of the story, the son who sells, says to him essentially, I, I wish you were dead, he says, father. He addresses him correctly, even though he wants him dead. At least he addresses him correctly. And now this guy, he disrespects him just by the way that he that he looks at him. And we're going to look at all of this in depth in two weeks in the last message of this series. But he says, lo, this many years I have been serving you. There's a couple of different words in Greek that you could use to talk about serving. One is that this many years I've been serving you, helping you um, and all this. But he uses a specific word that says this many years I've been slaving for you. That's the word that he used in the original language. He saw the service to his father as slavery. I've been slaving for you, and now I can't believe that you've never given me what I wanted. You see, friends, this is so important. We don't serve or obey God to get things from God. We serve and obey God because it's how we know God and how we become more like Him. We serve and obey God because it's the best way to live and because we owe Him everything. God sent His Son to die for us. He's given us forgiveness and eternal life and the only natural response to Him for that kind of love and sacrifice is to obey Him. The point of the story that Jesus is making to these religious leaders is He says, listen, you can be rebellious and lost, but you can also be religious and lost. And this is the thing that the older brother forgot. That everything that we receive from God is a gift of grace. It's not about our performance. It's about Jesus' finished work. And this is why Christians are many times very judgmental and arrogant. Because they think that it's their keeping the rules that is what makes God love them. Can I just tell you? Um, It's not. By the way, you're not that good at keeping the rules to begin with. 
oh, no, but I'm doing good. And I'm yeah, yeah. But trust me, we're missing more than we're catching. Um, and, and, and and here's the thing. We, we forget. We think that God loves us because we keep the rules. Guess what? God loved you before you even cared about keeping the rules. And that not only that, God loves you and loves us because he is love. Because his desire is to shower you with love and grace. And he loved us long before we even cared about obeying him. That's why Romans chapter 5 says these words. It says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. So as we close, can I just share this for, for a moment? Um, if you're here and you're an older brother person, like maybe you've had kind of a judgmental spirit towards others, you've had a feeling of, of superiority towards, towards others, can I just tell you something? God loves you so very much. But I want you to understand something, and this is very important for you to know. God loves you not because you keep the rules. His love is not contingent on your obedience to Him. But you and I have to understand that um, you didn't simply need God's grace when you got saved. Oh, God, I need your grace. I need you to forgive me and save me. But now that you came to know the Lord, you're good. No. You need God's grace today and tomorrow and the next day just as much as you did when you needed God's grace for Him to save you. That your standing before God is not about your good work or the stuff that you've done that's right or your adherence to the Bible and what you've read. Your standing before God is about His work, Jesus' work, who died for us. He's the one that paid the price. He's the one who's perfect. He's the one that's the bridge, the mediator between God and man. So today, if I can be so bold, today might be the day that, listen, we need to repent If you're an older brother, you need to repent of trying to be your own savior. Saying, oh God, you you gave me forgiveness when I needed it, but now I'm doing pretty good and I don't really need as much anymore. No, no, no. You need just as much. You see, maybe today is the day that we stop trying to save ourselves through our good deeds. And instead we just receive the grace that God gives to us that it's never going to be enough of us doing good. That's why Jesus sent His Son. Listen, if you could save yourself, Jesus didn't need to die. But instead, we couldn't save ourselves. That's why Jesus came. And listen, God wants to set you free from that that arrogance, that judgmental spirit, that feeling that God is only going to love me if I do the right thing. Listen, that's no way to live. How about this? God is going to love you regardless. That's why we obey Him. Because He's going to love us regardless. Listen, maybe you're here and you're the younger brother. Maybe you've been looking for everything that life has to offer. You did what the prodigal did. You've been out there and you've been trying to find meaning and purpose in life. And you've been, you've been looking for it and you've tried to find it in relationships and you've tried to find it in experiences and you've tried to find it in, in the prestige and honor and wealth and all this kind of stuff and you've come up empty. And now you're wondering, what would happen if I turned around and came home? Can I tell you this? This is where the prodigal son was so wise. He came to his senses and he came home. He returned to his father and found the thing that he never even dreamed. He found grace. You see, this might be where you are. Where do you keep searching for something, hoping it's going to satisfy? Or do you come home and ask, just fall at God's feet and ask him for grace and mercy and forgiveness, knowing this? That the Bible says that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Oh, but Bob, you don't know what I've done. Listen, the Bible says that those who come to him, he'll by no means cast out. That there is really nothing that you can do, according to what the Bible says, that nothing can separate you from the love of God. So there is no way that you've done something that God would say, I'm sorry, I can't accept you. Instead, you can come home and really receive the grace and love and peace and forgiveness and hope that he offers to us. My friends, Jesus died for you. 
He gave us life so you could be reconciled to God, have a relationship with God, have your, your past forgiven, have peace in the present, and have hope for a better future. And if that's the case, my friends, today is the day to come home. The day to come home to ask God to forgive you, to ask God to give you peace, to give you a new life, to set you on a new path. I want to give you that opportunity. Let's pray together. And Lord, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for this story that Jesus told and how it gives us hope that it's a picture of your love. It's a picture of your forgiveness. It's a picture of your radical, incredible, scandalous grace that you offer to us. And so, Lord, may you extend your hand of help, of hope, of salvation in this moment, I pray. Listen, with every head bowed as we're praying together, Maybe you're here and you're the older brother. Maybe there's been some judgmentalism. Maybe there's been this idea where you feel you've got to, oh, I've just, I know that I'll earn God's love. God will owe me if I do the right thing. Oh, my friend, God wants to set you free of that. If you're the older brother and you, you say, I need to repent of that and just receive God's grace, I'm going to invite you to raise your hand so I can pray for you. backs, your hands in the center, on the other side, God bless you, God bless you. God wants to set you free of that. God wants you to just embrace Him. Maybe you're here and that's not your story. Maybe you're here and you've been, you've been living a different kind of life and you're, and you're here because you're, you're, you want to turn, you want to come back to God and you have no idea how, but you've been living like the younger brother in such a way to where you've You've tried to find meaning and purpose and happiness and, and all of that and all these different places and you've, you've come up empty. Listen, I want to pray for you. So if that's you, listen, I'm going to invite you to just raise your hand. I want to pray for you now. See those hands in the middle. See the hands in the back. God bless you. All the way in the back. See your hands there on, the, on either side. God bless you. God wants to do a work in this place. God wants to do a work in our lives this, this, this day. And Lord, we thank you for every person here. God, may you do a work in them. Meet them where they are right now. And as we take a step in your direction, may we experience your love, your grace, your life as we draw close to you. Listen, while we're still in an attitude of prayer, if you read the Bible, one of the things you'll find is that those whom Jesus calls, He calls publicly. He doesn't call anyone in a backroom deal. He doesn't call anyone in a secret place. Instead, He calls them. When Jesus called His disciples, when He called people to follow Him, He called them publicly. And so what I'm going to do is as we close, I want to invite you, whether you're the older brother or whether you're the younger brother, I'm going to invite you as the band starts to play in a moment, I'm going to invite you to come forward. I'm going to invite you to the base of this stage, at the foot of this stage, because I want to pray for you. I want this to be a moment that you can mark it on the calendar to say, this was the day that God changed my life. This was the day that God set me free. This is the day that I was dead and I became alive. This was the day that I was lost and now I was found. This is the day that I didn't know what to expect, but I walked forward and I found a heavenly father who was willing to embrace me and love me and forgive me and walk with me all the rest of my days. So in a moment, the band's going to play and I'm going to invite you to have the boldness and the courage to come forward because God is going to meet you in this place. We're going to pray together. And your life is never going to be the same. Come forward. Come now. The band's going to play. with those who have come forward and yet I can't help but think 
that there might be a couple of people that are still in their seats. That God is, you know that God's calling you. You know that God is, is moving you right now. God's speaking to you. And yet you feel like there's something that's holding you back. And my friend, can I share something with you? Do you think it's God that's holding you back? Or do you think it's something else or someone else that wants to keep you in your seat and keep you from experiencing everything that God has for you? I don't want you to be banging on the door saying, I'm, I'm alone and, I'm, and I don't want to be lost. The band's not going to play another chorus and I'm, I'm imploring you. If God is speaking to you, my friend, and this is the moment, then get up and come on down and listen. God wants to do an amazing work in your life. Anyone else? Now's the time. Now's the time. God bless you. We'll wait for you. I want to congratulate you for coming forward because I really believe that this is where it begins. This is the moment where we take a step in God's direction where the Bible says if you draw near to God that He will draw near to you. And what I want to do is lead you in a prayer that my older brother um, led me in almost 20 years ago. And I can tell you that, listen, I'm not supposed to be here. I had, I had a, a, another vision for my life, what I was supposed to do and all of this. And listen, God saved me. God saved me and He changed my life. I owe Him everything. That's the work that God wants to do in you. That God wants to do in your life exceedingly, abundantly above all that you can ask or think. And my friends, I'm living proof of it. And He wants to do the same in you. And it begins right now. It begins right now with opening your heart, inviting God and saying, God, I need you. I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. Change my life. I'm open. I'm not running anymore. And so I want to lead you in a prayer. A prayer that I prayed almost 20 years ago. Um, and it has nothing to do with the words, but it has everything to do. It has everything to do with the heart behind them. Your heart calling out to God that He will change your life. So let's pray together. God, I thank You for these that have gathered here, that have come forward. And Lord, I just want to pray for them. I pray that You'd fill them with Your Spirit. I pray that You would save them. I pray that You'd set their feet upon a rock. And that You would do what only You can do in their lives. Because, God, we know that when they pray that you will hear, that you will act, that you will respond. God, thank you. Thank you for your amazing love. Thank you for your amazing grace that saves us. Because we were lost and now we can be found. Those of you that are here that are ready, I want you to repeat this prayer with me. Meaning it in your heart, calling out to God, saying, Dear God, I open my heart. And I invite you inside to be my God, to be my Savior, to be my friend. Forgive me of my sins and wash me clean. I've decided today to follow you, Jesus. From this day forever, I'm yours. In Jesus' name, amen.